Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the priest world. Featuring the hosts, MC. He's going for gold. It's track. The captain. If anyone knows me, I love 80s classic rubbish pop. Player. It's kind of interesting where he was at that point in any, any time. OJ. The word I've got here circled is sap. It's just savvy. And other special guests. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast. We're all back together again. The team is here introducing Toe Jam. Can't you tell me how to play the game? Player. It don't take Stevie Wonder to see I got the right clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Captain. I could buy every one of you. <laughs> NMC. Yes, that's me. We are back to do another album review. Everyone seems in a very jovial mood. I've got the red wine out, so this should be a good episode. And we're here for the 15th anniversary of a mammoth release. Three CDs, three albums worth, technically. We're going to go into Emancipation, the album. He was born to make. The- <laughs> it was the podcast yeah, no, we were born to like- make. <laughs> the exactly. album that Oprah danced to on a treadmill. <laughs> so, uh, without further ado, because really, to get through this is going to take us a while, and it should be all sorts of fun, we're just going to go into a straight review. Anyone got anything to say about this release before we start talking about the songs on these three discs? It was the first Prince album. Actually, was this a Prince album? No, it was a Symbol album. It was the first album by this guy that had cover <laughs> songs on it. Yeah. That's one thing. And the first single released off this album was one of those covers. Hmm. And it was the first one without Warner Brothers. Yeah, that's the big thing about this one. This was the first real attempt at let's get out of Warner Brothers and let's do this big thing on my own to a degree of success, which we will debate tonight. (laughs) It was the three CD set that he always wanted to release through Hmm. Warner Brothers, which they always knocked him back. So he had the opportunity now to do it. And then he wouldn't stop doing it. He did like three or four of them within the space of a few years. Mm. That's right. Yeah, and even really until recently, 2009 technically was a three-album release, just as recently yeah. as Lotus Flower, Minneapolis Sound, and Elixir. Not in the same sort of format, but yeah, so a lot of material in here. I'll, the only thing I'll say very quickly is what a gutsy, ballsy move. Not only yeah. at, at that point in his career especially, but also... 96 in the music industry. Granted, it wasn't quite as crazy as it is now, but to release three albums in in you know in the year of I, I would say hip hop and just the tail end of alternative rock, you know the, those massive years of Britpop and all that kind of. To release three CDs into the commercial atmosphere, I, I just I think it's just that alone is enough for a for an you know a worthy discussion because it's just who, who does that no i mean no one does that <laughs> who does not that? now anyway yeah definitely not now um, um it's interesting that it's just on the eve of the internet explosion like the internet was around then but it wasn't really it was sort of you know the summer after this is when the internet really exploded for mm. from my memory anyway yeah um so yeah interesting an interesting thing about the covers was somebody asked him in an interview, I think, before it came out, you know, why have you got covers on there? And he, this is his answer, like, word for word. I'd never done any covers before, 
and thought it would be interesting to draw attention to the package. So does that mean the only reason he put them on there was just to get more attention? Not because he really liked the songs and he wanted to cover them? I think he, he knew that he needed to. Like, he promoted this album like nothing else he'd ever done before. So I think he knew that he needed to do that without the backing of Warner Brothers. So, Well, I read somewhere that he was trying to do covers through Warner Brothers and they wouldn't allow it. I don't think that's true, though, but... That was something else. Like, it was his first opportunity that, that he could do something like that. But that sounds a bit odd. I mean, this whole album, it was an interesting plan if the whole thing actually came off like it was supposed to. I mean, it, you know, it started off, he had the blueprint. He wanted to do three albums, 12 songs each, exactly an hour long. That was that was the challenge. And then it was supposed to have a two to three year plan with at least 18 singles on it, according to him, <laughs> which I think's great. <laughs> but even back then... What did he say uh, just before the album came out? I've already made the money off it. That's yeah. True. He said, I've already made my money. Mm. That was near the start of when, you know, he's always talking about money and he's been talking about it ever since. Being number one at the bank, yeah. And this was when it started because he, like, I think, he, I can't remember the quote, but he said somewhere that this album made him more money than pretty much most of his albums that he had at Warner's because he did it himself. He got most of the money. Hmm. The lion's share, yeah. The lion's share. I, I thought it was interesting how they counted the albums as well, yeah. which was not the amount that was sold, but the amount that was shipped from him or EMI to the stores. And for years and years, there were just, you know, reduced bins full with, of emancipation. Emancipation, that's right. For like for two, five two ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Without getting into too much detail, but, you know, there were some tragic circumstances regarding the release of this, and I think that really kind of spoiled his view of the whole process of the album, perhaps. Mm, yeah, I um, think it would So we'll never really know, but it, I think it was a worthy experiment, if nothing else. And I know I've said this already, but it is a huge amount of material. I mean, I think yeah. I remember reading somewhere something along the lines of this being, if not the first, and certainly one of the first triple disc albums being released um, into the, you know, pop, f- funk, R&B world. Well, <laughs> yeah, um, which is which is pretty incredible. You know, d- discounting compilations and live material by any artist. So, you know, to have the first or one of the first full length triple disc albums and releasing it in '96, just after you've freed yourself from from one of the world's biggest record labels, and like Captain said, opening up with a cover, 36 songs on this by by count, three hours of music. That's got to be one of the most ambitious. Yeah, ambitious projects, yeah, attempted by anyone, ever, probably. So yeah, huge, huge release. And I, I don't know that there's too much, I mean, we, we'll probably go into all the detail if we start off. The only other thing I'll say quickly is he, he talked about being number one at the bank, and Captain mentioned, you know, he's been talking about being number one at the bank ever since. One quick stat for everyone, Emancipation is supposedly the fourth best-selling triple album ever released in the United States, to this day. The fourth. The fourth best-selling triple album ever within the United States. Well, how many people release triple albums, though? There yeah. wouldn't be that many. Yeah, but I mean, to do it is is ambitious in itself, but yeah, so. No, that's a cool statistic. I didn't, I've never heard that. There's a few, yeah, there's quite a few double albums, but triple albums, like, I can't think of another triple album set besides, like, Crystal Ball. Or- mm. Oh, and the other thing I'll finish on is um, Captain talked about 18 singles is supposedly Prince, this is 18, three singles were released off this album. One per disc. <laughs> one per disc, and I think one of them was only as a radio promo. So really two singles. 
One of them was a cover, the other one wasn't. Um, but, but EMI fell apart. I don't know if that was really Prince's fault. I think yeah. maybe if they were still around, the project may have gone longer. But... but knowing his track record at promoting albums after they've been released, I think even if EMI had stayed fully functional, mm. I doubt he would have followed through with what he was supposed to do. Well, even in the is it in the lyric books of this, there's an ad for Crystal Ball and the Truth at the end of this. It's like yeah. you know he's mm. already thinking ahead, like when this came out. You think he could have stuck to one album for the next three years? That's <laughs> not going to happen. I doubt he could stick with it for three months. Yeah, there's just too much, too way too much music pouring out of the guy. Even at this period in the mid '90s, with people, some people, you know, denying that, that he even existed. So it's pretty incredible. The last thing I want to say before we go into the thing, the main thing I keep thinking every time I hear this three albums of music was if only he had his emancipation a few years earlier and this album that he was born to make would have consisted of the symbol album come and the gold experience all into one album and it wouldn't be the best album that ever existed by anyone by anyone ever (laughs) including mike oldfield even so and he could have called it the dawn or welcome to the dawn and that's it would have been the best album that he'd ever made if only you know it had happened a few years earlier every time i listen to this album i'm just like oh a couple of years too late but, but apart from that let's go so um anyway let's get into the music all the hoopla and hullabaloo aside um let's get into the details the songs the most important thing on the pitch and black show the music all right disc number one track number one it's called jam of the year oh, everybody's here everybody's this is the gem of the year. Oh, oh, oh. What do we all think? Let's start off with player. Okay. This is a cool laid back little track. I like the horn line and the big piano chords. Always nice to have Rosie Gaines appear on a Prince track. I don't really have a lot on this. It's a feel good party track, straightforward with clean production. Nice way to open up the album with. Cool song. Okay. Toe Jam. Toe Jam of the Year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. What's going on? Excellent. No, I really like this song. It's um, a really great intro to the album. Uh, I know that I say this a lot, but it, it does set up the album. It's got all the sort of hallmark sounds, uh, the sort of clean, crisp guitars and the slickness to it, the sort of electro-produced drums and all this kind of thing. And Eric Leeds and Rosie Gaines, uh, again, great combination. Uh, I kind of think this one is like first-class funk, not as in it's like top rate, but it kind of reminds me if... If I was like a really rich sort of person on an airplane listening to funk, this is what I'd be listening to. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a good song. It, you know, it's not pretentious. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek. It's the jam of the year. Like, yeah. And I can see him writing this with the intention of doing it live, which I think he did the following tour. Tour was called Jam of the Year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And there's some, you know, it's basically just a groove that sort of goes and builds and there's a nice bit where it, all the instruments come together. And then it sort of builds up from that. It's pretty cool. And uh, and yeah, that's right. I should mention it starts with this big, is it a reverse symbol or something to start the album? Um, yeah, it sounds like a unlocking a vault or something. Yeah. And then the album, uh, without giving too much away about disc three, if you haven't listened to it yet, the album finishes with the reverse sound of that, which is kind of a cool little way to do an album, I guess. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. 
song to start with. It was definitely... Oh, no, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say it was definitely the jam of the year because it certainly wasn't. But it was a good attempt. It was a good attempt. It was Prince's jam of the year. Okay. So, Captain, what do you think about that? Jeez, we're flying through this already. It starts off with this annoying background sound and it fades oh, out. Oh, the chatter. The track starts. And yeah, you know where did all the I people go? Yeah. You know how much I hate that. <laughs> they all went indoors. And then as soon as the song starts, it's like they all just got killed by aliens or something. They, yeah. Why? Why? They I got don't. murdered by the funk. <laughs> <laughs> not, not with this song. <laughs> Definitely. I think just because I've heard this this song this and this chorus so much, I'm just over it. And I, every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, not again. It's got some funky guitar in the second verse. It's good to have Rosie back. She still sounds great. But yeah, for me, this is one of the weaker tracks on this disc and for a track with a title like Jam of the Year you'd think you'd think it'd be a great great song but well, it's you expect okay it with song. that title to be like really like funky exactly. and in your face yeah, but wild, it's like yeah. laid it's sort of laid back funk what other song have we said this about I'm sure that we were reviewing an album a while ago and we were talking about how and we said with a title like yeah, that you yeah you really exp- oh what was it I can't um, it was I Rock Therefore I Am yeah. that's right <laughs> yes which is interesting because that song off that album sounds Sounds like it should be on Emancipation, just the production and everything of it. Around the same time, I think. Yeah. But yeah, at four minutes, this song could have ended, but then it just keeps going. It's like he padded it to fit in with the concept of being an hour-long disc. It's like, well, I can just stick another, you know, two minutes on this one because nothing much happens in, after four minutes. It just sort of bumbles along. Yeah, it's more, only... jazz, more jazzy than funky, especially that lead line, that... Dun, 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 dun. You know, that's kind of like a, like a jazz line. Yeah, the only thing I really do like in this track is this sort of jazzy guitar comes in at about 4.50, does a cool little solo, then there's a piano solo, some really cool vocals by Rosie doing some some good screams better than Prince has done I'd say but uh, yeah next wow you you got no one is feeling the funk where's the yeah where is it where is it it's it's too laid back it's in that song like it's just um, I think the funk is all in the in the drum programming this is some of his best and sharpest 90s drum programming by far I think Kirk J this is yeah this <laughs> all the way Kirk J Kirk J all the way um, this is this is one of my favourite songs on this album not only just on this disc and what a way wow. to open the show I can't believe you guys I'm just I'm a, I'm oh, a... I like it I like it it's just not one of my favourites off the album though I think this is brilliant this song really exemplifies how skilled an arranger Prince is regardless of what genre of music or, or what scale for that matter he's working in it's just it's fu- it's fu- it's a chilled funk I agree with you guys it's not it's not all the critics you know there's a bit of savoir faire going on the bass line <laughs> is really cool there's some smooth horn lines but the way they're just this is pure ear candy when I put headphones on and listen to this song I can't stop smiling I've said this about other songs before but it's just ear to ear wide grin when I listen to Jam of the Year the great drum programming it's just really popping and like it's just that snare is smacking all over the place from left to right it's just really bouncy bouncy drum programming really thick and lush rosy creeping in little light flourishes of rhythm guitar some cool vocals predominantly in his falsetto range a little bit in the um, lower range delivery it has this infectious groove I mean I just think this is an outstanding song the flute the flute comes in and that gives it like just a bit of I don't know it's something that you don't often 
can hear in, in, in his music and the lyrics are all about having a party I, I, I guess it's pretty obvious but the piano work and I'm pretty sure uh, Ricky P's um, on a lot of this stuff but I think from memory this is pretty much Prince doing some little piano flourishes and some nice little lines towards the end yeah he's um, not credited on the album Ricky P on, oh I mean on this song sorry yeah yeah he's in the liner notes but it doesn't say which tracks I don't think what, what he's on so he could be on any of these songs he, from reading them from reading the liner notes he is mentioned on on some yes. songs yeah. yeah so I guess that if on any songs that he's not mentioned we can take a guess but it does sound like Prince it's very sparse and you know he's described himself as a colorist when he plays piano and I can hear that here he's just really just adding little bits and pieces especially in the last couple minutes it just really taps the groove along nicely and I love the chord progressions they're just really pleasing to the ear and, and I think it does live up to the title this is the jam of the year at least Prince's jam of the year <laughs> yeah I've always listened to this song in the lyrics as him not talking he's not talking up this particular track he's talking about he's listening to something like there's a song that comes on the radio or in a club and as it opens up with this is the joint I've been waiting for all night everybody's here this is the jam of the year you know the piano man's gonna do some stuff the bass man's gonna do so I think to me I've always heard this song especially on, on headphones as like an homage to the jam the groove in music and like just a song that you can't get out of your head and you just start bobbing to it so it's very um musically focused the lyrics are about the music the music is obviously speaks for itself it's just kind of up tempo to be mashed at extreme decibels as the line i say so talking about the flute you're saying it's a weird inclusion on a sort of funk track hmm. look at get off that had a flute yeah and that was true. i mean it's just such a weird combination but it works it's a great use of eric as well he makes it work i remember eric leeds said once said um, he considers himself a saxophone player and a good, like, pretend flute player or something. Something like that. Mm. I think that's a really good analogy because he's not, like, the greatest flute player, but he, he does have some he gets interesting the job ideas. And, yeah, yeah, he does it, you know, does what needs to be done. So, so, um, so that's the first track. Uh, let's go into track number two now, which is titled Right Back Here in My Arms. I just want you. I just want you. I just want you right back here in my arms. Do we have to? Let's start. Oh, let's start with oh. you now. I don't really like the the dark tone of this song overall. I don't like the annoying sounding synth in the chorus. There's a rap. I would say this is the weakest track on this first disc. Wow. Um, I'm gonna me. I'm gonna say most skippable track. Oh. Right now. <laughs> you haven't you haven't heard the end of this disc, have you? I just don't <laughs> like this song. It's First joint written and recorded for this album, and she knows why. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows no why? No chorus, Captain. Damn, uh, no chorus intentional. Uh, don't okay. like it. All right. So um, from Captain to player. Uh, well, I like this song. Um, even though it's dark and minor key, like um, Captain said, I think that's the most memorable thing about this song. And in the high-pitched synth line that sounds like the dog whistle. It's a very popular production technique used in mid-90s hip-hop and R&B. 
and that's cool because there's no real chorus. So that's the part that gets stuck in your head is that kind of um, high-pitched synth. And I really like Prince's vocal delivery. He sounds angry or something. And it comes across well in the song, even though the song he isn't angry, but, you know, he sounds ur- like urgent or needs something done. So, yeah, I like it. It's cool. <laughs> All right. Toe Jam. Yeah, I really, I, well, I won't say I really, really like the song, but it's a good song. It used to be one of my favorites. I've kind of gone off a little bit, but I still think it's a really decent song. I really like the the synth lead. That's kind of the hook of the song, as, as Player was just saying. Oh. Um and uh, I, I agree with most of what Player said. You know, he sounds urgent and some of the lyrics kind of sound a bit throwaway and he sort of repeats the same right back here in my arms a, a few times. But I think that's sort of intentional, perhaps, in that he's, he's just saying, look, I just want you right back. I just want you right back. You know, there's nothing I can say. But you've got um, the poet in there as well because that's my only mission. Uh, <laughs> real chunky synth bass. Uh, and that synth bass is really kind of a theme through the album all the way through. And it... It brings up the first of these kind of lonely songs on this album, and it's always fascinated me. This album, he's you know supposedly so happy, and you know life's turned around for him. And, and but on this album, there's so many lonely songs, and this is <clears> the first of them. And I always find that really quite interesting on many levels. But yeah, I think this is a good song. Okay, I'll finish this off by saying that I um like the lyrics aside from some of the rap. Pseudo rap. No, which, no, no, to the postman. Bring yeah, in <laughs> which, is, which isn't which isn't great. But the direct lyrics about longing and wanting you know someone to be back with him, back in his arms, is I, I, I buy it. I think it's be- very believable, mainly because of his delivery. I think player said he kind of sounds angry or just really intent on on getting his the emotion across and I think he does that I enjoy hearing the vocals in his mid-register I love it when he sings in, in, in his natural more natural register their hip-hop beat well I don't know I don't know if I, you call it a hip-hop beat I guess you can it's a bit dated and that's I think the, the thing that lets this song down I'm gonna say something a little obvious here if this beat was replaced with a lin but like a really dense sounding lin drum I think this could be right up there back with some of the um, back in your arms 80. <laughs> yeah, back in my arms. No, but I mean, I, I seriously don't think that this would be out of place on Sign of the Times, potentially, if it had just some minor arrangement adjustments and just replaced the, the whole beat with the Lin, this song would be unrecognizable, I think, to the ear. And um, yeah, it would really be all the better for it. But, you know, the... The yeah, Sign of the Times is a sort of dark album. It would fit on there. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know why I got that. But the weird electro notes and the um, muddled... How do I put this? Like it's like a, almost like a curdled bass undercurrent. It really underpins this whole track, and I agree with Tojen that it underpins a lot of the songs in this album. But I think that that's the highlight. The highlight is his delivery and that bass just underneath. So yeah, it's a decent track. And um, going into track number three, another kind of gloomy song. Somebody's somebody. Let's open with Toe Jam for this. Oh, I really like this one. This is one of my favorite off all three discs. What? Uh, not my favorite, but it's up there. Um, what? I just, I just really like, I just really like the lyrics. It sounds totally genuine to me. 
like uh, you know it's two o five in the morning and I just can't sleep outside. The rain is pouring and it's just really visually stimulating. And I'm sure everyone's been in that situation where you just you know you want someone next to you kind of thing. And uh, it's kind of an interesting play on words as well. Somebody's somebody. So it's and the way he sings it as well. It's like he's kind of which one's the the body? Is it him or or the the lover that he's after? Hmm. Kind of thing. I don't. Do you get that as well? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's just interesting the way he sings it. And you got the rain intro that sort of sets sets it up. And again, there's lots of synth hooks and things. And I really like the live version he did on Rosie O'Donnell as well. Just a, a really well written song, I think. Uh, I haven't got too much written about it, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, uh, I'll take it off your hands quickly because only because I'm a, I'm a fan. And I don't have too much to say, but somebody, somebody, I think is a is a great track, not a good track, a great track. Is it a sitar? Is it the oud? I don't know. I'm not that familiar with my eastern instruments, but it sounds like an eastern instrument. Sounds like a keyboard doing it though. Does it? Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like a synth version of it. Okay. But it's used all the way through this album, like not only this disc, but throughout the whole three discs. Whatever, if it's a keyboard preset or whatever, it's. He uses it a lot. But it, but it sounds good. And whatever it is, we've spoken in the past about Prince not incorporating many world music elements. And I'm not going to s- sit here and say that, that he's doing it to a huge degree here. But that element is there, just like it is in The Greatest Romance. It's in Somebody Somebody. And I think that makes the track a little bit different from your usual R&B fare. Certainly what would have been on the radio back in, in the mid-90s. And then later on with all the Neo Soul stuff. I mean, even then, he was producing R&B, but it was just slightly left of center, which I really enjoy. This is a song with some great opening lines. I mean, the imagery that Toe Jam painted and that Prince obviously painted with his lyrics. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. That's brilliant. Made love. (laughs) About loneliness and sadness and all that kind of stuff. The vocals are earnest, melody is memorable. And this song has, a, I think, a killer melody for a quiet storm ballad, which is what I think it is. But his guitar and his vocals create atmosphere. And the layering right at the end of the line of, um, I cannot be alone no more. And it kind of like, not loops it, but he layers the words no more over each other. No more, no more. And that's really cool effect. And a few light jazzy flourishes, but I much prefer the remix of this song. Yep. The live studio. Oh, yeah, yeah. To the one that's on this album. That is the definitive version of this song. That's right. I mean, that's what I was thinking of when I was thinking of the Rosie O'Donnell one. Yeah. Live studio mix. Just like the. Willie and Abel on the Diamonds and Pearls video. That's the one. And that's a live studio mix, and it's just so much better. Yeah. That snare at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's, it is like a down tempo. That live studio mix, it is down tempo, just like the original, but it's just so much more organic sounding, and it's got these little breaks that, the, that this album version doesn't have, these little breakdowns that are just so cool, and so, he employs a couple of them on the Rosie O'Donnell performance. So I think that's the definitive version. I wish that was on the album, Let's Go to Captain. The live version sounds organic because it's live and not this plastic <laughs> album version. This third song on this disc or this album, it's where the plasticity starts to annoy me because it's there on the first track, it's there on the second track, but on when it gets to this on a sort of quasi ballad, <laughs> you want you want that live sound. You don't want this plastic sound, and it just annoys me. <laughs> but this it's a decent track. I like the, the live studio mix better. But yeah, apart from the a bit of the whatever that instrument is that MC was talking about, it's just your typical Prince R and B song to me, which is pretty plastic sounding, you know, the drum the sounds of the drums, the the synth, stuff like that, it's just my 
Yeah, but the you don't first think three, that the, the first three tracks comes through though, regardless of all I, of that. Like, I can see I what can't. you're saying, but to me, the you know the emotion just pulls through on this song. It doesn't for me because I don't listen to the words that much anyway. <laughs> all I can focus on is how plastic it sounds, <laughs> and re- regardless how good his vocal performance is or is not, or what he's saying, all I'm hearing is oh, too much reverb, too much gate on the drum, and it just it just annoys me every single time. And the, I, I figured out why I don't like some of the synths on this album is they're really metallic sounding and it, it just grates on my It's a bit jarring, brain. isn't it? I, I see it, that. I get that as well, actually. Especially on right back here in my arms. It's just uh, every time I hear that synth, I'm just like, next song, skip it. Which I think Most is unfortunate because that's a, like I said, that I think right back here in my arms is a good song, but it suffers because of what you just said, you know. Like. Live studio one's better. It's, it doesn't sound plasticky. Well, we're on which this is, plastic thing, though, I think the years before this gold experience and, and the like, even though he was sort of, he was always mixing between live and, you know, electric drum effects and things. And I think, it, like, albums like Come, some of the Come stuff is really thick. And to me, this yeah. is almost like it's a relief for a while. It's like, oh, look, I'm sick of hearing these loud drums and these crazy effects. I'm just going to have really simple drum beats. And I think that's kind of the point of the album is that it's just back to basics. You know, yeah. the drum machine, a guitar, a keyboard, and lots of layered vocals. But then what? where does the Kirky J stuff come in? And do you guys think that he really had a big part to play or was it more like a credit for, for the sake of it? Because for the most part, it I don't know, it, it sounds a it's little... probably like, because perhaps, this is just my guess, is that, you know, Prince might have been an expert at the Lynn, but by the time the 90s came around, he might not have been really up to date with all the modern technology. So he's probably said, look, here's the beat I've got on the Lynn or something. Kirky J, can you program it in for sort me on this latest thingamabob? Mm. Yeah. His latest computer program that they had. So that's the way I see it. And then he's uh, he's heard it back and he's thought, oh, okay, this sounds current. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, nice, yeah. That yeah. sounds nice and plasticky. That'll get on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Player. Well, this was one of the singles of the album. It was the double A side with Holy River. And when you got 36 songs to choose from, Prince must have seen something special in this song himself. So, yeah, it's it's good. The lyrics are nice. If you're in that kind of lonely mood, the production is slick. The guitar's a highlight. But I have to agree with you, The my favourite version is the uh, live version that was on that single with the arrangement slightly funked up and the live drums and all. So, yeah, good solid track, but I'll take the alternative live release version over this one. You guys seen the video as well at the end of the video, you know, where he falls asleep or something. Mm. And then right at the end, you hear this like triangle go ding and he opens his eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I I crack up every time I see that. I haven't haven't seen that. Is this the one like sort of in nightclubs and stuff and he's wearing that horrible green thing? He's just sort of walking around all lonely and intercutting with fans screaming and this kind of thing. And and then at the Mm. end he goes to sleep and he's woken up by a triangle. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So from uh, track number three, we go to number four and Gitchy Gitchy. Unfortunately, uh, I don't have much to say about this song because it's not on my iPod version of Emancipation. Oh, you love it. In that I don't have this on my iPod at all. I deleted it. Oh, and, what? And uh, I'll go into that later. So whoever has this song on their uh, album, who wants to start off? Captain. This this is a good song. This is, <laughs> wow. This is, the best, this is the best song on the disc so oh. far. <laughs> 
it is. Getcha, getcha. Get the your first, ass the, out of this show. The first three songs, I, I just skip them half the time, and I'll go straight to this, because this is where this disc starts. This is where the album starts. <laughs> now, I know it's got plastic drums, but that sounds fine, because the song's good. It's got really cool horns all through the song, which I'm guessing is MPG horns. Yeah. Is it in the, is it in the lyric thing? I don't know. Well, yeah, I think they're credited at the end. Guess so, yeah. 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 Sax is Eric Leeds. Uh-huh. The, I like this song, the, but the funniest thing is Morris saying, there's juice in there. I don't know what he's talking about, <laughs> but it's funny. I have no idea what it's about. And then he's, they're saying, oh, what, we've got to get out of here because if I have another drink, I might change my name. I mean, that's just comedy, <laughs> knowing that, you know, a couple of years before, he changed his name. It's just funny. <laughs> and then, you know, it doesn't think... Oh, yeah. no. And, and, and the that's Stevie exactly Wonder, why I don't have it on my iPod. The Stevie Wonder line, it's just classic. But that's a good song. It's a good best song on the on the album so far. Hmm. There we go. Okay. Player. Boys, that wind chime keyboard preset is back. <laughs> <laughs> this is an okay track for getting ready before going out on a Friday or Saturday night. And there's another D'Angelo reference in there somewhere, but... Yeah. What starts out as an alright song just ends up turning into a conversation or dialogue about a guy called Big Juice with a missing tooth that smells like an ashtray. <laughs> I mean, you've lost me by then, you know. Musically, I like the sax and the guitar licks, but to hit a miss track, I could do without it. I'm doing without it very nicely, Toe Jam. Uh, this and the next song as well, I kind of feel the same about. They're very easily skippable, but when I find I do listen to them, I actually enjoy them for the, the fun factor. Maybe that's because I don't listen to them as much as the others. But there's a there's a cool little baritone sax solo in here by Eric Leeds. Yeah. You know, just going all over the place. It's only short, but it's a cool little solo. That's the highlight for me. Any any of these songs, I've talked about this before in other songs we've done, where there's sort of a comedy element story sort of going through it. It's really funny the first few times you hear it. And then after that, once you know it's coming, it just loses something, I find. And But this is a bit of fun, this track. You should have put Police Scanner in it. That would have yeah. kicked it up a bunch. <laughs> uh, oh, no. I can see they're getting their groove on in there. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely grooving on. <laughs> wow. So, uh, yeah, so, so it's, it's fun for what it is, but it is slightly skippable. I think we've pretty much killed this track off, right? It makes me really happy to hear. <laughs> this, is, this is the third best track on disc one. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, actually, you, are, they, you are crazy. Let's not forget when they did this live, they mixed it with um, one of the Madhouse tracks. Was it six? Six, Four or yeah. Six? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah, because six is a good track. Great song. Yeah. All right, all right. So now we go into track number five, a song that is less than half the predecessor in length. Um, Let's talk about it. Cordon Time. Every day away is just another day of pain is lonely. No matter what I'm talking about, it always comes back to you. I lost more friends this week because they only... Captain. Second best track on the disc. Oh, all right, now you're starting to make some sense. <laughs> this is great. I don't have a lot to say about it except I love it. I love the horns. I can even stand the synth sounds and the overprocessed drums. Love the vocals. I love the guitar and the verses. Backing vocals, second verse are great. I love the the bass. The bass is probably the best thing in this song. The vocals on the bridge, it's just great. Everything in this song is perfect. And even though it's the shortest track on this disc, 
you know, other tracks have just been padded with crap. And he leaves this at like two and a half minutes, which annoys me every time I hear it. So I just got to play it again then. <laughs> just play it two or three times and it, it, it works out fine. Great song. Bass. Listen to the bass. So good. Player. <laughs> this is just the tame rockabilly track. Oh, come on. Same vein as Delirious and Jack You Off, but he's done it more successfully on those songs. Here it just comes off as a Jive-style track, you know, like Jive Bunny or something. I love Jive Bunny. Jive Bunny and the Master Mixes Why am I not surprised? <laughs> Jive Bunny and the Master Mixes are excellent. I don't, know, I don't know if the correct category for it is ragtime or in its style, but it's... Just another example of Prince's diversity and ability to show they could do a track in this style. But thank you, Lucky Stars, it's no longer than two and a half minutes because any longer could have turned into a complete mess. Well, I think it is longer, isn't it? To like 2.46? Something yeah. like that, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, I mean, it's a cool song, but it's, it's nothing... Like, he's done it more successfully on other tracks. Uh, okay. I'm going to have to take this off your hands before I hand it over to Toe Jam. And I'm just going to say, this is one of my favorites off this album once again. Yes. Not just off this disc. Finally some sense. Not not just off of this disc, but one of this album. What a song. Two minutes, 46 seconds of not a note wasted. It is like just the perfect, perfect, unbelievable arrangement. And okay, if you take out like um, a couple of Duke Ellington albums and you throw this one on there, you'll see a massive difference. Okay, so and maybe it's not as sophisticated as it is on first listen, but within Prince's discography, the arrangement and the composition of this is not only unique, but it's brilliant. It's um similar to uh, a lot of the arrangements on the Vault album. Ah, he beat me to it. Damn yeah. it. <laughs> Sorry. It wasn't even in my notes. I just made it up. <laughs> but yeah, I'd love every single second of this song, which I can't say for any other song on this out on on this disc on disc one. His vocal stylings are on point. He goes from Tony Bennett to Harry Connick to Jive Bunny Prince <laughs> through Jive Bunny and everywhere in between. He just kills it, kills it with the descending notes juxtaposed juxtapose against the bright all these bright horn lines and fun background vocals. And Captain, you're on point. The bass is on point. Wow, what a track! 407 bars later, the band stopped. Seven people died of cardiac arrest. Details at 11. <laughs> Unreal. And Prince on the drums, killing this song, killing it. Uh, not that there's anything particularly amazing about the drum part, but this is this is a great track. How could you not love this? Pure that's what candy. I said. Everything is perfect. It's it just, is. There's nothing I don't like about this song. The, the, the one line I like is when he says in, in the big the big part, he's a thousand times a victor, I am. I'm like, his name's Victor, he said it again. <laughs> but then how good are the background vocals? Baby, baby. Oh, backing vocals are insane. It's ridiculous. And then there's that. There's there's another part. Uh, my favorite part is the styling where he's got that. Um, all oh, my friends found out and something like, uh, yeah. what was it? All oh, my friends have, f- and then I found that they are not at all or something like that. It's just really, really good jazz stylings. Kurt Ehrling would be proud. Toe Jam, over to you. <laughs> uh, I like the song too. To me, I, I can always get confused between Get Your Groove and On Court and, on court and Time. I forget which one's which, but this is definitely the pick of the two. And the horns, just for me, that's the highlight of the song, just hearing those yeah. horns go all the way through. I'm not a fan of the lyrics though, Court and Time and... You know, then he throws Who in a lyric about his. Lyrics? Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, he throws in a, a lyric about like his friends not being his friends. I'm like, oh, who cares? Just party on, Prince. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I really like the arrangement. It's a fairly s- simple song in terms of composition, but the arrangement makes it interesting. And um, 
yeah, I, I think this perhaps might have been better on something like The Vault, where it was more, this is the theme of the album, this kind of jazz thing. Kind of seems a bit lost in this album in some ways. But yeah, you're right. In terms of his discography, like, you know, this is Prince doing, you know, Glenn Miller 1940s <laughs> big band kind of stuff. Um, and doing it well. It is yeah. a big band arrangement, right? Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. hear it. You know, NPG Hornheads, you know, they rock. So I like it for that reason. Like Get Your Groove On, I do tend to skip it sometimes. But again, whenever whenever I do, whenever it does come on, I find myself really enjoying it. So. <laughs> on this first disc, I can skip every track on this first album except this and one other, which we're getting to. All, right, all the rest all right. I can do without, but I'll listen to them. But I'm almost I'm always straight to num- number five every time. Isn't it funny how first you got to get your groove on, and then it's court in time all of a sudden? I like the <laughs> sequencing on this album, and that leads us straight into track number six, the cover, the single. What does everyone think? The it's Betcha. Betcha by Golly Wow. Betcha by golly well, all right. <laughs> really nice cover version, and Prince turns this sweet little song into this big, lush production with the original MPG lineup. He not only covers the song, but he makes it his own with the multi-layered vocals and the spoken word part towards the end. Again, Ballad as a first single might not have been the best of moves, but it's strong enough to be a standout song. I really, really like it. Uh, Toe Jam? Yeah, it's... Nothing super special. It's basically Prince doing a cover, and he's doing it very well. Exactly what Player said. Big, lush arrangement, uh, amazing vocals. And um, this was perhaps, you know, he had the most beautiful girl in the world the year or two before that, and then he puts out this one, maybe a little bit too similar to really capture, you know, to make people go, oh, wow, Prince is doing something different. And this, is, this song kind of encapsulates for me this and the ballads on Rave and some of the ballads in this sort of era that he was really going for that clean, crisp, soul ballad thing. The only thing is with this one, he didn't write it, obviously. But it is an amazing song by the stylistics. So, you know, it's a credit to them that, you know, someone like Prince would cover it. Um, I don't have much to say about it, though. It's basically Prince doing a cover and doing it well. So there you go. And Captain? Do you think because of the success of Most Beautiful Girl in the World, you know, a ballad, being, you know, huge and number one all over the place. Do you think that got into his head then? I can just do ballads. They'll be huge. They'll be huge. He's kind of done that ever since, hasn't he? His vocals are pretty much exactly the same on this. You know, it's this falsetto thing and then it's got a big, lovely scream at the end. Really the same song in, in that sense. So, yeah, I think he just got in his head, you know. This is what I can do. I can stick a ballad out there, first single, lead single, and I, and I can't fail because, look, I've already done it once and twice. <laughs> and then he yeah. does Come On and then he does Greatest Romance and, yeah. And it just keeps going. Everything. Tao Mokorasan. Yeah. Just keeps on coming. Interesting. Anyway, this song, it's the first cover so far on this album. I prefer this to the original, but that's probably because I heard this one first and I heard it a lot and I only heard the original, the stylistics one, not that long ago. And it seems so... I don't know. It seems so. Plain, plain. It seems, seems, seems so basic compared to this yeah. one. This one's just got so much in it, all the arrangement and everything in it. And the original is just like, oh, it's, it's, what's nothing happening there? I just want to make a quick comment. I get a very similar sensation when I listen to old 50s, 60s recordings, and 
although you might have a point here, I think a lot of it has to do with the fidelity of the recording and That's how it was right, recorded. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. I kind of feel like those guys, like Stylistics, Temptations, a lot of the Motown guys, I just don't get enough credit just because you can't hear the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so. But anyway. Is this got real drums? Is this Michael B? Yeah. Yep. Because this is like the only song so far with real drums, isn't it? All the rest is just... Cordon Time, the one right before it. Is that real drums? That's Prince on real drums. Oh, then they're so horribly processed, you can't tell. <laughs> there's such a... There's a gate on the snare on Cordon Time, and it just cuts off every time. It, it just makes me think it's not... It's just a drum machine. But it could be a real drum, and he's just put it through a million bloody things. Anyway, this song's okay. All right, all right. Um, not much to say. I agree with everyone. It's a great cover. Everything is masterfully arranged once again. Expertly done. Sounds like honey. Just pure dripping honey, this song. In the liner notes, they talk about maybe the prettiest melody ever written. And it is. It's a great melody. Written by Thomas Randolph Bell and Linda Creed. And I think it's important to point out those two names because it's just a great piece of work. I think it's a great, great love song. This is an amazing vocal showcase for Prince without any without any doubt with the peak at about 255 onwards where he's got the breakdown and he just hits a note after great note just absolutely nails it and i always have this this moment right on that probably from 255 to 305 where, where i just i always look around just to make sure if am, is anyone looking at me at the moment is can i be seen listening to this because it's just it's that <laughs> I don't know if you and guys And then get when you this. notice that there's no one there, you burst out into into full voice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I just feel like, oh wow, it really tests my um hetero masculine side. It's just <laughs> incredible. They say many a cherry burst, but I don't know. Uh it's just a bit it's really out there for me. Maybe it's just me. The I love you baby at the end spoils it. The typical kind of Casablanca old thick American accent. Yeah. Saying those four <laughs> words is cr- the cringeworthy factor is high on that, and it just takes it overboard. Um, but it's hey, really kind of like it reminds me of sort of like a Japanese cartoon or something. I love, I love you, baby. baby. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> you know, in this song where he says something about the words of someone else seem to work out fine or something. Is that from the original? Uh, no. No. So he, no. Uh, he put that in to say, you know, I didn't write this, but it's good enough that I'll sing it anyway. Yeah. Ah, so At least that's song. the way I interpret it. Yeah. And again, what a great addition. It's, I'm happy you picked up on that because I remember listening to that thinking, what a beautiful way of acknowledging mm. someone else's work in the song. So, yeah. so that's that song. Very nice. And from that song, we gets up. <laughs> Everybody get down. Number seven, we gets up. Captain. Best track on the disc. Well, oh. Oh. <laughs> Maybe on this entire album. 
I, I love this song. In the last probably two weeks, I probably heard this a hundred times anyway. I just, I had the disc, disc one in the car and I just kept going track five, track seven, track five, track seven, nonstop. And then occasionally I'll let it run through to the others, but I probably played them a hundred times more than the rest. It's that good. It's got excellent bass. It's got excellent horns. It's got excellent vocals. It's got funky guitars everywhere. It's got the screaming woman. I don't know what that is, but it's funny. Now, go and listen to this song from 1.30 to 2.51. I think that's one of the best 81 seconds he's ever recorded. <laughs> just that section, it's just perfect. Just like Court in Time, the whole song is perfect. This 81 seconds, nothing is wrong with it. I just love it. It's excellent. And then 229 to 237, you've got this vocals, which goes from really low up to super high scream. It's really good. I can't say anything else about this song, except it's great and it's excellent and I love it. And so many people hate this song. There was a thread on Prince Org only like a few weeks ago. And it's like, what is your worst song? And half the people are like, yeah, We Gets Up is rubbish. I'm like, what? <laughs> Who are these people? The people, the people have spoken, Captain. You are I one. I don't care. You're one unique Prince fan. <laughs> this, this is a great, great song. The guitar that comes in at the end as well, you know, you could go into a Dorfman machine from that. It's just, it's so good. But, <laughs> but oh. it doesn't. Mr. Toad, Toad Jam, Toad Man. Sorry, Captain. Captain need- gets up. <laughs> <laughs> Captain need- gets up, Toad Jam gets down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this song at all. I'm going to say it. I don't like this song at all. It's just, oh. never been one of my favorites. It makes me cringe. It's just, I don't know. It's really, it's bad Prince. No. It's it sounds it's it's like Prince has run out of all ideas yep. and he's scraping the barrel. That's that's the way I hear it. And that, that woman screaming or if it's Prince screaming, whoever's screaming, it's like shut <laughs> up. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> that bit towards the end where he builds up, that's just the corniest bit of all time. Oh great. Oh, no, don't do that kind of thing. That's been done a million times. <laughs> Inspired by the face one makes when Jordan dunks. <laughs> Which is actually a line out of style, isn't it? Oh, yeah, similar. Yeah, it is too. But, you know, on that, the Chicago Bulls were like, this is when they're in the, at their absolute peak. Yeah. And coming back, winning three championships and all this. And so he was obviously a big celebrity, and this is Prince cashing in on the, on the fad at the time. I don't know. Nothing more to say about it. It's just, I don't even want to say Prince by Numbers because there are some Prince by Numbers songs that are okay. This is just Prince at the bottom of the barrel. Oh, no. It's kind of like. It's kind of like just having fun in the studio, but maybe a bit obviously too much filler, I think. Yeah, it is. It's filler. Mm. It's the best song on the album. <laughs> we'll let Player be the judge of that. Player. Player. Oh, my God. The only highlight of this track is the horns. Ah, uh, yeah. The horns are great. Or however it goes. That's, mm. that's really cool. That's really tight. Lyrically, I'm not a big fan of where we are reminded of how good the MPG is. I mean, that's self-explanatory. And the, I don't know, is it Rhonda or whoever else is screeching in that those shout-outs in the song? You know, that's that's got to go. <laughs> but stuff like that has me reaching for the skip button. And the, the, the only other cool part is at the end where you think the song's finished and then he brings the beat back. That part's cool. With yeah. a guitar. Yeah. I don't know if that's been inserted later, like he was trying to get the disc to 60 minutes. 
Could have been. And maybe like the song did originally end there and then he's just brought it back just to fill it to the 60 minute mark. I don't There's know. a few moments like that on the album in a few yeah. songs. Yeah. Yeah. I have to agree with everyone but Captain on this track. This is another one of those songs that I had to look at the back cover of the album because I don't have this on my iPod either. This went with, <laughs> what's that other song called? Get Your Groove On and It's Cousin, It's Ugly Cousin, We Gets Up. They disappeared off oh, my iPod. Oh, oh, oh. Although, before I deleted it, I do remember it being a song that didn't take itself very seriously. And Eric Leeds horns and the horn heads, I remember, were pretty cool. But other than that, yeah, definitely filler. Definitely filler. No, no, no. This is the total exemplification of fill- of a filler track. <laughs> well, it just doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> All right, and, and quickly, we get from that to this white we mansion. Can't. One day I have a big we can't get off that yet. Get off. <laughs> White we get off it, Captain. We get off it. We're at, oh, it's, we're, oh, I don't know. We're definitely on White Mansion. I promise you. It's track eight. One day I have a big white mansion. No, um, no, no, no. Toe Jam. You know, when we did Controversy <laughs> and I said, this song is all about interplay. Yeah. You know, everything's got its spot. Listen to this song from 130 to 251. It's just perfectly interplayed. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm, it just no, goes it and there's like always something a, there. It sounds like he's put some effort into it, but it's like there's, there's, I don't know, I don't, maybe I'm really biased here, but to me it just sounds like all the ideas are just like second-rate ideas. So yeah, maybe he's put a lot of effort into it and there's lots of interplay, but it's like there's, there's sort of no base to, there's no substance to it. I don't know. Oh, you I shouldn't be not. too mean. All right. All, right, all, right, all right, I think we're giving this song a lot more time than it deserves. Let's get on up and out of here. <laughs> no, to... no, there's still more. Any... Oh, no. Tojan said, um, you know, it's not even a Prince by numbers, but that I like this because it doesn't even sound like a Prince song to me. It sounds like nothing he's done. Nothing he should have ever done. <laughs> more like it. <laughs> Uh, and when I, when I hear this, I'm like, this doesn't sound like any other print song I can to, think of. To continue this discussion, please go on the Peach and Black forums. That way you <laughs> have to o- validate this. <laughs> over time. Okay, track Here eight. Here we go. Track number eight, White Mansion. Get over it. Get- <laughs> white Mansion. One day I have a big white mansion. What do you think of this track? Well, on the surface, this sounds like a generic laid-back R&B track that focuses on materialistic things, which really isn't like Prince at all. But when you take <laughs> when you take a good listen to the lyrics, the way I hear it, it's Prince going back to the late '70s, where he's where he took that first trip to New York to get his first recording contract and his dreams and aspirations. And when you hear it in that way, it's an interesting listen. I like at the start of the song, he's like, the lyric goes, happy, don't you know? And then as the song goes along, it changes to trying to be happy. And then at the very end, it becomes, bet, am I really happy? I I think that's pretty cool how it it changes all the way through. And my favorite part of this song is the line where he says he could use a new guitar. And then that's followed by this, bam, bam. (laughs) Just the way you can kind of like, you know, it's played on guitar, but he also sort of vocalizes it as well. Well, that's funky, but yeah. 
It's an interesting song. It's quite cool. All right, all right. Toe Jam. Well, the only redeeming factor uh, feature of We Gets Up is that it's followed by... uh, (laughs) This probably tied with another song on another disc as my favourite album, my favourite song on this whole album. I love this song. It speaks to me. It hits my heart every time I hear it. I don't know what it is, but I can, you know, it's so visual to me. I can see, like, I can see the snow, as they say. You know, it is cold. It, It makes you feel cold this song and um players got it like I, i'm not a huge lyric person but the lyrics in this are you know just amazing it's an amazing metaphor you know coming from the land of snow i guess i'm kind of used to cold and you know the first part of the song he's talking about you know his dreams one day i'm going to live in a big white mansion and then at the end it's like well i'm living in a big white mansion and i'm still not happy and it's just brilliant and you've got slowly rolling chord progression that's sort of major minor and it's like, is it happy? Is it sad? It's kind. Of, it's just reflective all the way through, and the mix between the the clean guitar and the keyboards is just oh, really smooth and silky. And the the vocals in this, like the layered vocal chorus, just you know, it hits me every time it comes in. It's just. I think there's one towards the end, maybe the last or second last one. And man, that goes right to my heart when that comes in. It's turn this one up really loud, and uh, it sparkles. Uh, it's just an amazingly well-written, amazingly arranged, uh, amazingly performed song. And, you know, probably one of my favorites of the 90s and um, definitely in my top two of this album, I think. Wow. Wow. Big, big. uh... Even the the bit at the end, it's a bit cheesy at the end where it goes into this, just this beat and it's like he's watching TV or something. But that fits in with the song. It's like, you know, he's got home to his big white mansion and he's, what's he doing in his big white mansion? (laughs) He's sitting down watching some stupid TV show. That's, you know, that's part of the song. It's like, look, he's really happy, but he's, he's sitting here in this big empty room watching this stupid TV show. I don't know. It's just brilliant all the way through. All right. I don't have quite that much to say about it. I think that what is probably the white bass, bass pops are definitely in the house or in the mansion, actually. Uh, it could do without the Yo Anita samples or whatever it is. Um, I don't know a lot of the names and references and all the facts and the trivia that are referenced in the track. And um, It's him telling his life story up until that point, though. That's the way I hear it. That's what's yeah. so interesting about it, because he's never done a song like that before. Mm. I guess it, it, that's gone over my head somehow. I mean, I listened to lyrics. Maybe I just kind of missed the point on this one. Um, this is a strange-sounding song, because, again, just like We Gets Up, it doesn't really go anywhere to me. It kind of stays in the same... It kind of locks into the same... I won't call it a groove but just a tempo and um, kind of stays there. I don't know. It's very echoey background vocals that are interesting. Um, this is a, almost a skipper for me. Oh. It's it's definitely not filler, but it's just... Um, here's my problem with White Mansion. I think that a, a lot of the inflections that he uses in his vocals and the humor and the way in which he delivers the lyrics, they're just not believable to me. They're just kind of teenage and a little bit juvenile and I just kind of um he puts on a couple of different accents and it's just I don't know he's trying too hard to say something really really simple and again potentially with with a different arrangement and and just not I don't know I mean it's his piece of art what am I I'm just commenting on it it just doesn't hit the spot for me so let's take it to captain I think if you listen to we gets up like just before you went into a job interview you would get that job interview (laughs) (laughs) that's what I say (laughs) Yeah, but if you listen to White Mansion, you'd be owning owning the building and charging them all of the. <laughs> no, you'd be so depressed they'd kick you out. Jeez. <laughs> this song, White Mansion, it's more plastic drums, the screaming woman again. Ah, oh, I'm sure it's a comedian. 
It sounds like an excerpt from some comedian's stand-up, which could be Eddie Murphy, you know, at the barbecue with his grandmother and the shoe. It's from some stand-up, and I, it's so familiar, but I can't figure out who it is. Um, more annoying synthy metallic-sounding hooks yet again. 140 to 145, he mentions a bar, and of course, here come the crowd again for five <laughs> seconds. Marching band. Here comes the crowd in a bar because obviously we're too dumb to imagine what it would sound like without him playing it for us. <laughs> I like the mention of the latest fashion because that's a song by the time, which he did. It's good. <laughs> I like that bit where he's, you know, he's in a casino or something and, you know, he's trying. it sounds like he's trying to win onto this, this young girl, but it's like the fact that he's in a casino and there's all this, you know, money coming out of the pokies. It, it's, it's so obviously superficial and that's... Mm. Yeah, it's, I don't know. There's so many little subtle things like that in the song. Hmm. But just like when he sings about the bar and you hear the bar sounds and then he says, back to Minneapolis, there you go. Of course, airplane sounds because we don't know what that sounds like. <laughs> this is and another you can't track. find your house underneath the snow. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. This is another track that's at least a minute too long just, just to fit in the 60 minutes, I'm sure. Agreed. Uh, you, dis- you disappoint me all. I'll be damned if I don't go into the next track now to get through this this set. Track number nine, Damned If I Do. If I do, and we take it to you, Captain. Every time this song starts, I think it's 1993 and Beverly Hills 90210 theme music just started. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I hear every time this song starts. And we're in the peach pit. And we're in the peach pit. Apart from that, I don't have much to say about it. Uh, I prefer it to the first three tracks on this disc, that's for sure. But yeah, the really only good part I like in this song is the end of the chorus where he says, maybe we should say goodbye. That just sounds good. It's got a great sounding guitar solo. And of course, he does another pet hate of mine, gets to what should be the end of the song, and he goes, no, it's Latino time. Get the piano out. Let's take on another two minutes. Oh, it's... It's, uh, for me, this song ends at 3.33. This is before the Renato days. Uh, and then it just goes into this thing. It's, the only good thing is the guitar solo sort of saves it, but the the, the, uh, the Latino stuff just kills me. He's not Santana. Don't try to be. Just give up. <laughs> give up. You heard it here first, <laughs> folks. Um, player. Yeah, this track is a two-part song where the first half is guitar-driven rock and the second half is the Latin salsa jam. As a whole, I'm not a big fan of this song, but I'll stick all the way through it just because there's little moments every now and then in the track that keep me interested. And I like whatever the sound effect he's using on the snare. Go and have a listen to it. Sounds like he's, I don't know, like it's like mm-hmm. a mini scream or something. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But yeah, I, I'd take it or leave it. Okay. And off we go to Toe Jam. Yeah, it's not bad. It's all right. Uh, the first half sounds like it probably would have been better on Chaos and Disorder or something. It's kind of this country rock almost. Some pretty cheese ball sort of themes. Um, I, I really like I really like the Latin bit at the end. That's to me that's the the better half of the song. Um, it's but, got the guitar solo, but just that bloody yeah thing. But the um <laughs> the horns the horns are going off horns in the second half in the song, and I, that's the highlight for me. 
So, you know, he's even credited the arrangement, horn arrangement in the, the main lyric book. Normally he leaves that sort of stuff right to the end in a little, in brackets, horns arranged by Michael McNichol. You, know, you know, this one, he's put it right in the in the main booklet. So that that's a credit, I think. So yeah, listen to those horns. It's crazy stuff. But yeah, the rest of the song are a bit hit and miss as well. 90210. <sighs> wow. Aside from the 90210 reference, I think this is actually quite a nice jam got the steady but effective drum pattern drum beat um the arrangement from three minutes onwards into the salsa jam i think is awesome it's a really classy latin style i, I agree with you captain if you if what you if what you said was that he, he's not generally good at this kind of latin mumbo salsa type sound mm. um and and you obviously don't think that he redeems himself here i think he goes a long way to doing so on this song i think it's fairly good like it's pretty classy he doesn't really overdo it it's got some simple flourishes and then he's got the guitar, piano, and the horn chants playing very similar lines. They're obviously in the same key, which helps, but just kind of... There's a bit of rumba. There's a bit of salsa there. The thing that I agree with ToeJam on is that is those <laughs> cheeseball slash cringeworthy teen pop type lyrics that don't help to bring the song out of the trenches. So I think it's a nice jam. It's, it's, it's decent. It's got the, a little bit of sarcasm, and the last two minutes are the highlight. But the one thing that I like about it is is the title, just the damned if I do and the damned if I don't. I think what he was trying to convey there was this the feeling that you get sometimes in a relationship, regardless of what kind of relationship it is. And I think that comes through the song, and I can listen to this while I do my vacuuming. So let's go on to uh, track number 10 now, almost closing out this album with another cover version, I Can't Make You Love Me. I know folks don't like to hear me talk too much, so I'll just quickly say another cover, another little bit of fake sitar keyboard work and some smooth Kenny G sax. Fretless bass is a nice touch. Very overproduced. I don't know. Why? Is that a good enough review? Why? I'll leave it there. That's pretty much my review of this track. Should have left it to Barney. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let's go into Captain's review of I Can't Make You Love Me. You can't make me like this track, Captain. (laughs) This is the, it's really the only ballad on this disc. Somebody, somebody, maybe. And it's a cover, and it's a pretty good one. I heard the original, and again, because, I think because I heard this one first, I know this one a lot better. I prefer this one to Bonnie Raitt's version. And I found out, in August 2000, Mojo Magazine voted this song, well, the Bonnie Raitt version, number eight in the 100 greatest songs of all time. Mm. So that's a, that's a something. But uh, it's an okay song. It's, a, it's another ballad, which I don't particularly like. But it's okay. <laughs> Sorry, I should have said, it's not that I dislike the song, I don't like Prince's cover. Continue. <laughs> well, yeah, I heard the original and I like this one, but this version better. So, yeah. All right, all right. Uh, player. Okay, I guess the question is, how does this version stack up against the hundreds of other versions of this track? <laughs> this has been covered by so many people, it's not funny. Mm. 
I mean, there's um, Bonnie Raitt, Bonnie Tyler, Kenny Rogers, Candy Dolfer, Patti LaBelle, Boys to Men. Even Peter Andre had a crack at it. Yeah, which bombed. <laughs> George, George Michael. I, I like the George Michael track. That's pretty cool. Even Adele um, has done one this year. Oh, God. Don't you wish you wrote this song? Imagine the royalties. <laughs> yeah, and that's just scraping the surface. I mean, so many people have covered this song, and that's probably why it was voted number eight or whatever in that mm. poll. But yeah, everyone's had a shot at it. I think Prince serves the song justice, and even though it's slickly produced, the emotion is still there, and it still comes through. It'd have to be another standout track on this disc. Standout? Yeah, it's a standout. I mean, wow. I, I don't know if it's the best, the definitive best version of this song, but um, yeah, I, I mean... I don't mind it. I don't skip it or anything. It's, it's cool. Okay. Toe Jam, is this a standout track to you? It's a good... But it's. I really feel the same as Betcha by Golly Wow. It's a Prince doing a great version of a great, an already great song. The fretless bass, I can perhaps see Prince seeing and listening to that and thinking, oh, maybe I'll feature that on a song of my own later on, which he did. The one. Yeah. I can't really add much more to what you guys are saying. It is an, it is an emotional performance he puts it out there. It's got that little sitar thing again. Eric Leeds is playing the sax. It's, it's nice for what it is, but not super striking, given that it's a cover. The other Did covers that I heard, I think his vocal performance is the best, though. Like yes. I, heard, I heard the George Michael one. I heard the Bonnie Raid one. I've heard a couple of others, and I think he, he sings it better than anyone else that I've heard. I offered you sexual relation. I mean, <laughs> he, he does add lyrics this and I, to this, and I think that it ruins a little bit. Also, something that just came to my mind, the drum programming is so by-the-numbers, borderline lazy, don't you guys... Yeah, but this song's, not a, track. This, this song's not about the drums. I know, but you, I mean, you could have really acousticized, if that's not a word. You could have really... Um, this song should have had the same Lynn drum that 1999 had, right? <laughs> Imagine that. Think about it. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I just fall asleep. This is about. one of the most boring songs Prince has ever recorded, cover or not. It's just like, <laughs> oh, sucking the life out of me. <laughs> so uh, on to the song now that I did delete off my iPod. The third and final final tr- track that I deleted off disc one it's song number 11 and it's Mr. Happy Pump at that weight jam, man. <laughs> Toe jam, Mr. Happy. Yeah. It's not, as bad as, it's not as bad as we get up. I'll give it that. Oh, you get out. <laughs> Mr. Happy gets up. <laughs> scrappy D in there. <laughs> it's Scrap D, but he might as well be Scrappy. Scrappy do. <laughs> Happy power. No, there's, okay. There is a... There's a, a, the synth line in there. It rips off a, a really famous classical song, and I forget the name of it, and I'm struggling to think uh, of it. From now. 2001, The Space Odyssey. Oh, is it in there, is it? Yeah. Maybe. So. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I was actually listening to this in the car recently with someone in there, and they're like, oh, that's yeah. the, you know, they yeah, told me right. what it was. I'm like, oh, I'll have to remember that when we do the review, and I've completely forgotten what it is now. But yeah, it's sort of like um, Days of Wild that rips off. Yeah, that's right. Like that. And he used yeah. to do the rave into the year 2000. <laughs> did he? Whereabouts? 
you know where he where he goes? Do you love Rosie Gaines? Do you love Maceo? And then he goes, Do you love me? And then he he walks. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. And then that's it goes. Right. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> he is that too? Because he's yeah. Mr. Happy by then, because everyone loves him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, from 2001, The Space Odyssey. Okay, it's in there. I haven't seen that for ages. Yeah. There we go. That's that's all I got to say with it. Really, it's pretty skippable. Um, yeah, that's enough for me on that one. <laughs> all right, play up. Uh, slick productions, Scrap D rap is okay. The Ice Cube sample that he liked to use in this era, I like. But apart from that, nothing memorable here. We'll move on. Captain. I just listened to this before we started, and the first line of this song is, I got some money, I got some juice. <laughs> what, what is this? We know he's obsessed with money, but what, this is like the fourth or fifth mention of juice <laughs> just in this disc so far. I think what he means by juice is like he's got some collateral or he's got some clout, you okay. know. Because every time I hear it, I'm like, what, what is he talking about? He's got some juice. He's got a juice box? What? I don't know. You and MC had no juice at the bar with the bucket fiasco. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't have any juice. Uh, but I just, no, I never got what that was about. This whole song, it's pretty much just a drum loop with another annoying synth line. And this seems like it would have fitted better on New Power Soul than on Emancipation, I think. It's got that real plasticky blur <laughs> sound. And you got, yeah, you got Scrappy Doo. You could stick this track with um, the the other two bombs on Chaos and Disorder. Yeah, it's it's the trio, isn't it? It is. It is. I rock, therefore I am. We gets up and Mr. Happy. No. Mr. Happy. <laughs> and what was the other horrible Dig thing? You better dead. Dig you better dead. That, that, those three. It's the trio oh. of doom. <laughs> and they all came in like the same year. Funny that. Wow. And two of them have scrap D. <laughs> And we have really spent way too much time on Mr. Happy tonight. I'm telling you right now, I can't take another second of talking about this track. Let's move on then. Let's move on to the closer of disc one and an oddity, from at least from my point of view, I won't go into it too much. Track number 12, In This Bed, I Scream. and Susanna. Mm. Ooh. When Wendy and Lisa were asked about this song in an interview, Wendy said he sent that song to us to see if we wanted to work on it. We gave him suggestions about it and he sounded like he was into it and then we never heard from him again about it. Which sounds, <laughs> which sounds about right. Normal. <laughs> That's what you'd expect. And what do you think of the song? Uh, this song is something. The drum loop seems really busy because you've got all the scratching and stuff, but it's uh, it works. The weird thing is there's this triangle only in the right speaker that's playing this random little beat, and it's really cool. If you're bored, go and listen to that. It, it's cool. I like the falsetto. I like the melody. I like it's mostly major. It's only the, the chorus bit that's a bit scary and minor. But no, I like this song. This I remember when this came out, it was a... Uh, 
People liked it. I still like it. It sort of reminds me a bit of Empty Room, but I don't know why. There's just some sort of vibe in it similar to that. I like the harmonies in the chorus. It's a great vocal performance, especially when it uses the lower register instead of the falsetto. You got this big guitar mess at the end. Sort of reminds me a bit of Computer Blue with all the feedback going crazy and just letting it do its thing. That's cool. And that's a good end. It's a good end to the disc, I'd say. What do you think, Mr. Someone? Uh, I really like the song. It's probably my second favourite behind White Mansion on this disc. Uh, probably in the top five or six or seven of the album all up. I think it's a really good song. I agree with you, Captain. It's, you know, it's, it's the lyrics are kind of, you know, sad and depressing in some ways, but it's sort of over this happy melody and bouncy beat. And it's it's almost like he's, you know, he's woken up the next day after he's been screaming in his bed and he's kind of thought, oh, you know, how silly am I kind of thing and sort of written a funny song, not a funny song, but a, a song about it, kind of laughing at, him, at himself in a good way. But yeah, then at the end when it comes in with the feedback, to me, that's the bit where he's, you know, he's back in that situation where he's in his bed and he's just, uh, you know, things aren't going well and he's screaming. And But yeah, really interesting song. The, the beat always reminds me of, it's not a Lindrum, but it has that real Lindrum sort of feel to it, I find. Uh, it's that you know, kind of tightly wound and lots of little ticks and scrapes here and there. And it's, it's a really interesting drum beat. And then you've got some cool bass all the way through, lots of good slap bass lines and a little bit of rock in there too. It's a really full, interesting, flourishing track, I think. Yeah, one of the highlights of, of probably the all three discs, I think. It's a great song. Mm. All right, play on. What do you think of this particular one? Well, we know this was sent to Wendy and Lisa for the input, but was this song directed at them? Do we know? I remember when it came out, people were saying that it was about something to do with them, but I, I don't know what it was. But mm. that might have been just that fact that he sent it to them for their input. But we so don't know if bye -bye any of that was even used. It's like, you know, we all have moments of where we think back of decisions we've done and we think, oh, you know, I wish I hadn't have done that. And to me, that's the way I read it is that he's, you know, reflecting on his time and he's thinking, and, you know, in the bed screaming is him thinking, oh, you know, I should have, instead of disbanding the revolution, I should have done this or something like that. And then he's woken up the next day and he's thought, oh, you know, well, that's just all in the past now. So, and he's written a song about it. So mm. I don't know if it's really much deeper than that, really. Yeah. Just the lines, how do we lose communication? How do we lose each other's sound? I mean, that could be anything I know, but that aside, I think there's, you know, this is another highlight and another standout track. Definitely top three on this disc. The production music sounds really fresh and popping and some great bass in this song. I think it's the one-eyed bass. Just has some really nice tone to it. I love it. All right, I'll close this out briefly. This is definitely an oddity. I don't know whether it, you could say it's dedicated to Wendy and Lisa and Susanna, but it's definitely mentioning them, and I think it's a, it's it's directly influenced by their experiences together. But musically, it's got this nice, again, popping bass, the scratches, which I think actually work quite well. It's almost like it's um, it puts you in a, a little bit off kilter, and it puts the melody a little bit off kilter. The piercing synth that everyone's talked about, the guitar is mixed very oddly. It almost sounds like like it's hidden too low in the mix for me, but maybe that's intentional. The 80s synths I really like, and I think, again, that references the time that that those three spent together. Strange and vague lyrics. I have to just leave it there. Um, this is full of contradictions, full of potentially real-life references. The to and fro between his vocals and the synth and the guitars towards the end of the song is cool, but it kind of um, it just grooves... It's a little bit off and a little bit eerie sounding to me and a little bit fake and maybe empty. Full of um full of sound and noise and music, but at, at the, right at the end of it, I don't know what to think of it. I don't really know what has he actually said 
after this five, almost six minutes worth of um, music? I mean, what is he really attempting to com- to communicate? I just have no idea. And I think it's confused. Like You lost communication with him. <laughs> he's lost communication with us. And I, I mean, I could see that unless Wendy and Lisa and Susanna pick up entirely on, on, on the message that he's sending, if, if there even is a message in this song... I just don't know what it is. I'm scratching my head by the end of it, which is probably a good thing because then I think, well, there's another two discs that might point me in the right direction. But I, I kind of just, you know, take it off the, um, take it out of the CD drive and then put the next one in. So yeah, strange, strange song. I think you you just hinted at it, but there's an awesome bit towards the end where he does like a little call and response between his vocal and the guitar and singing. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the one I meant. Yeah. yeah, that's cool, that bit. That's mm. awesome. The more I think about this song that Wendy and Lisa gave him some suggestions about what to do with it, the more I think that he took and used those suggestions. Because this does sound to me like an updated version of something that had Wendy and Lisa input, like something like Dream Factory-esque. It's it does, got that yeah. sort of happy sound, does, but then yeah. it's got a, then it's mm. got sort of minor weird bits it really so i think he did take those whatever those suggestions were but yeah the more i think about it it yeah it sounds like something from 1986 but updated it's a new it's almost like a new revolution track isn't it it is without much of them doing much with it but i would love to hear him sing like the first line of the in this bed i scream chorus and then wendy and lisa on the left and right channel singing the like just a um a slightly delayed Mm -hmm. in this bed i scream or something similar i think it would add to it but hey it's 15 years old so we haven't seen a remix come out since then and that closes out disc one a lot of thoughts and comments and it's amazing to think that there's another two cds to come after this i think the disc as a whole it really serves the purpose of like a a, the first you know i know it's it's kind of sounds corny but like it does kind of set up the first act of you know a three-act trilogy like (laughs) this this sort of lays down the groundwork this is what the themes are going to be, this is the sounds you're going to hear. And then it's the second and third discs that kind of play off that, um, which we'll get into, I guess. Yeah. So to me, disc one is like the, the summarizing disc of, of Emancipation. I don't hear them as three discs. Like I hear the, like I was just saying, like the second and third discs kind of take what's happened in the first one and kind of go in different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it it's all one album. It doesn't sound like three separate albums like Lotus and NPR mm. Sound kind of thing. Yeah. I listen to this album a lot, this disc a lot, the last few weeks. I like it. I've got a definitive version of The Emancipation, and maybe you guys do <laughs> so as well. So do 8 million other yeah. people. And, and that's, um, a, that's a thread on the org like every second day. Exactly. Like, and, what and would I just, you put on Emancipation on one disc? I just think it's an important point to raise because if so many people, so many fans um, think that, then I think they must be onto something. Obviously, you know, Prince is the artist, is his creation, and he believes that it's whole. And but what I love, this, this has been been said heaps of times too by Prince fans and us probably too that every time someone makes it says oh you know Emancipation should have been one disc oh yeah what should have been on that disc and everyone will have it's different you know within three or four replies mm. every single song on the album has been mentioned so yes. <laughs> but except when we gets up we have to wait for Captain to post till we, yeah. we gets up yeah. that might take a while so. yeah I see your point though Jim but the, 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 the problem I think there is that the question that should be asked is Emancipation should have been two discs what should have been on those two discs I think it should have been a double album, personally. Yeah, I, I agree. I think because most of 
most of the songs are, I like. It's a, there's only the odd one that I could really do without. Um, maybe two or three on this first disc. So yeah, I reckon two discs would have been good. I think any disc that's a multiple disc set has that same fate, regardless of if it's Prince or not. If, if it's a double album, a lot of people say, well, you know, you could make a great single album from this double album. Except like every for Sign of every. The Times. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Except for Sign of the Times. Well, I'm just I was just about to say yeah. now. You know, Sign of the Times is a you know it's a classic of all time. But when it came out. Probably half the reviews were saying, "Oh, there's there's a bit of filler on here. Yeah, should have been should have been a single disc." Well, I mean, everyone's got their own opinion on this, but for me, all I've done, I, I keep the running order of all three discs exactly the same, and with the benefit of i of iTunes and the iPod, all I've done is just literally taken out the um. I thought you didn't stand, you couldn't stand digital music. The songs I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Prince we're talking about now. All oh, right, sorry. Um, evil. So I end up with I think like. 26 songs or something like that and it just runs from A to Z and it's beautiful it's a, it's just and when I hear it that way with, with some of the songs that I think maybe should have been left on the cutting room floor or a bit filler this really is an amazing piece of work but I guess we'll get into that so. 15 years ago today it was released November 19th 1996 so that's it disc one see you in next episode for disc two yep good night Hi, this is Shelby, and you have been listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Further your Peach and Black experience on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, as well as the Peach and Black forums. You can also subscribe to the Peach and Black Podcast for free at iTunes. World, stay tuned and stay funky. (laughs) You hear?